and welcome once again to the Midwest Football Podcast, Episode 9. This is your home for the thinking fans' coverage of the Great Lakes NFL teams. That's the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, coming to you from the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan, in the heart of the Great Lakes, where we have misery in three of our four pro sports, but at least now we have Monty Williams to coach the Pistons. Here's my friend and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Good afternoon, Midwest Landers and friends. Uh, coming to you from a nice stormy San Antonio today. It uh, was an annoying commute home today, but uh, no one cares about that. We're here to talk about football and uh, not just in America and the Midwest. We have a growing population in Germany that's been following us, and we'd like to uh, give thanks to them Uh and uh, I'd just like to give them thanks. I see that uh, over the last few weeks, uh, we've been really catching on in Krefeld and Frankfurt. And I uh, just want to give you guys props for listening to us, and I hope we're doing you good. And uh, it makes me even more upset that the uh, Kansas City Chiefs shiv the Bears this year, ending our uh, Bearcation 15 hopes to go to Germany this fall. But not a whole hope is lost. One of my best friends, Tony, is turning 40 next year. He is the other Lions fan I know, because I think between Joe and him, there's only the two of them, uh, you and Tony, but, you know, whatever. Um, uh, He wants to go to Oktoberfest for his uh, 40th birthday year next year. So uh, if you have any thoughts or comments, feel free to email us. Give me some suggestions about where to go, when the best time to go sometime in September is. Because as far as I know right now, all I know about Oktoberfest is from European Vacation with Chevy Chase and Beer Fest. And I'm not sure those are entirely accurate versions of <laughs> Oktoberfest from what I can understand. Yeah, that's a great big Vigetasinen to our German friends and fans. Thank you very much. Uh, also, hook Brian up for... Uh, local tourism tricks with an email to the Midwest football podcast. The address is Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. Where do you listen to the Midwest football podcast? Uh, Send us an email and tell us as for me, I like to listen to podcasts where I do my best thinking and that's usually airplanes or the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I I get all my great. Huh? Or the oh, airplane, bathroom. Know, airplane bathroom, man, I am golden. That's where I get my genius ideas. <laughs> All right, so we're recording this Tuesday, June 6th, episode 9. And today we are in the dead of the offseason. But we do have big, juicy rumors to talk about regarding the Vikings and the Browns. We've got Scandal rocking the Colts. We'll talk about that and the implications. But you'll want to stick around to the end this week where we'll debut a new segment that will get your imaginations flowing. First, though, there's the Vikings. We've touched on the running back situation there before and talked about it in terms of drama and discord and things happening and a muddled salary cap. But I think we really need to talk about it in depth. What do you think, Brian? So I think first things first, the Vikings are over the cap by about as much as it would take to cut. The problem would be solved by cutting Dalvin Cook. We are past the June 1st or 2nd deadline where we thought he was going to be cut. So maybe the first potential landing spot for the Vikings is they will just casually put him back on the Instagram logo and take a... Uh, Madison back <laughs> off of it with it just in the middle of the night, like at one in the morning, and just don't awkward. say anything. Just super awkward. Just like, oh, sorry, 
hey, Alexander, you thought it was your time, but we're going to Conan O'Brien this and just push you back to a, a later show, you know? <laughs> I think the most exciting landing spot, to be honest, is probably Miami. I don't know if he necessarily fits the track speed mold, but yes, he does have good speed. And uh, he's a little bit bigger than uh, Devin A-Chain that they got there that people think is going to be there. Might be a little bit more healthy and reliable than... Uh, Jeff Wilson and Moster. Do you have any thoughts on Miami or any other potential landing spots before we dig down into uh, the rest of the Vikings? Well, Miami was the team that reports surfaced was heavily interested in Dalvin Cook back in March. And there nearly was a deal, supposedly, according to these reports, that uh, occurred. We don't know what would have been involved or what held it up. But that was also before they went out and drafted A-Chain with a pretty significant draft pick, and they seemed very happy with him. Yeah, yeah, I think he was like their first live pick or something, or maybe he was their second. Maybe they had a second rounder. I just know they didn't have a first because of Tom Brady tampering. Right. I think he would be good in Miami because we were talking about at some point you got to have somebody that can just put his head down and move the chains. Or just push his way into the end zone when they're close. Their team is built to score from outside of the 20 more so than inside the 20. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point that I didn't think of, that you might be looking at a situation where it's a track race between the 20s and how good are they actually going to be? Is this an offense that's going to stall out a lot in the red zone? Miami, I mean. Reminds me of a couple of years ago when Tyreek was his last year of the Chiefs. They just started playing too high and daring Mahomes to throw underneath endlessly and they would get impatient or, the, you know, the bend don't break defense. And that might work against them. And uh, Delvin Cook would help alleviate that because he could take advantage of that situation. I think other situations that would be interesting would be Cincinnati and Cleveland, both Ohio school, schools <laughs> teams would be uh, good spots because they don't have a clear cut backup. I mean, it's not like Cleveland didn't just run two of the top five running backs out for years when they had uh, Kareem Hunt in his prime along with Nick Chubb. And then we're not really sure how set in stone the Mixon situation is. I think we're at the point now where I think he's probably going to stay. But Cook would be a good – I think Cook would be an upgrade despite them being the same draft class and roughly the same age. I just think Cook's a more explosive player, but he's often injured a little bit. Well, the team that I would want to see him with that I think would be explosive would be Buffalo Mm. because they've spent a lot of time and energy trying to find that air back. But who do they actually have that can be a complete running back? They don't have anybody close that I've seen. He fits the window. If you're worried that Cook is getting older, he's still got explosiveness left for another year, maybe two. And if they could win a Super Bowl in the next two years, I think they'd be more than happy with that. So I think that's a good fit. Obviously, the usual Chiefs are. Um, I think the uh, Saints would be an interesting one, especially if Kamara gets suspended. True. They did put money into Jamal Williams there, but... Um, I wouldn't... I, I still think... I, yeah, Dalvin Cook's going to play him right onto the bench if it was ever came down to a direct competition. Yeah. And they would be good comparing, to be honest. I think Cook could kind of do a Kamara-like role, and then Williams could fill in for the Ingram-type thing. So um, teams I don't think I sh- should be going after them would be like Arizona. I don't think they're trying to win. <laughs> yeah, anybody who's not looking to win in the next two years. Yeah, exactly. But uh, And anybody fun- that's got their running back situation pretty well settled. 
Yeah. Well, what's funny to me is that the Eagles would be an interesting one, even though they just added the great stud to DeAndre Swift and um, Rashad Penny for, you know, pennies, really. I mean, Penny was a $1.3 million prove-it deal. And uh, I don't even know if they're going to, what's it, they're paying uh, the Lions a fourth round pick like two years from now, 2025, I think. A lot of speculation is they'll let him walk and get a 2025 fourth rounder <laughs> and it's a compensatory. It'll basically just be a wash. I do want to point out one thing, though, and that is per over the cap, the Vikings are already right now today 9.7 million under the cap. Well, they're under the cap. I thought they're 9.7 over. Which means that if they cut Dalvin Cook, let's just say they flat out cut him. That was the rumor. Because I do think that nobody is, I don't think anybody's offering to flip a seventh round pick at this point. Not not the Allen Robinson deal for Pittsburgh? Because they, yeah, because they're going to cut him anyway. So why would you give up anything even remotely significant? Everybody knows he's about to be a free agent. Well, especially I think all the teams that are lining up to get him are probably Super Bowl contenders and they think they can just lure him over. True. You know, if you're a transitional team that thinks you can compete, like maybe you're like a New Orleans type that goes, well, we have Derek Carr, we're going to be great. And it's like, maybe you win the South, but you know, that kind of stuff. They cut Dalvin Cook, then they are in the top 10 in available cap space this year. Well, then what's their end game at this point? It seems to me like it's better to hold on to Cook and just try to run it back with your 13 win team. I mean, are you trying to sign someone now? <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, I think so, they they might they do have a gigantic dead money. That like, might be part of it. Is so they, they might be a, just trying to eat that all in one year. I was gonna say if you're trying to eat his dead money now, so you have more cap space next year. And remember, it's a new GM. He's only he basically spent the first year preserving the status quo, and I think now he wants to put his imprint on the team which is hard because he's preserved the status quo and they won 13 games. And now he's put himself in, you know, into a corner where I think he wants to make big deals, but it's going to be a lot harder than he would have if he just did it when he was new. Or he was probably hoping they would go seven wins and then he could just say, let's, let's make my guys in here. And from a PR standpoint, now he kind of has to rebuild on the fly because they were so good last year, at least with their record. Mm-hmm. So let's assume for the minute that they do move on from Dalvin Cook. We talked about a couple of nice landing spots for him. What does the rest of the running back room look like without Cook? So to me, this is the case to move on from Dalvin Cook. We've seen Madison in flashes over the couple last couple of years stepping in for Cook, and he's been pretty good. And um, doing my you know dynasty deep dives the last couple of years, Ty Chandler is a guy that I really liked. I actually flipped my this year's fifth round pick to pick up a bonus fifth round last year just to grab him so I could taxi him because our league rules, you have to draft him to taxi him. And I think Ty Chandler could be underrated, um, really good player. He looked great in the uh, pro preseason last year. For those of us who are not dynasty uh fantasy football players, the taxi squad basically means that you can hoard a guy for the first two years and it does, or whatever it says in your league. Usually and it doesn't count as a roster spot. Yeah. But you can't start. Him. Yeah. But you can't use him in any way during those two years. Yeah. And this so is it's, a, you- it's a way to hoard young talent. 
and and that's the spirit of the taxi squad too. You're going, hey, I think Cook is going to move on. Madison's a free agent in a walk. He could be he could go from third string to starter. And if I wait, hold on to him a year, and then usually what happens is they extend one of the guys and keep him, and it doesn't matter. But you didn't eat a roster spot waiting to see. Anyway, about yeah. Ty Chandler and how much you liked him. Yeah, because he, he's North Carolina. He was he had a really good high tackle breaking rate, and he was pretty good explosiveness. And we saw that in the preseason last year. He was one of the best running backs against other third stringers for whatever that's worth. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a pro bowler, but at least he didn't fail. Then the other guy coming in is um, um, Dwayne McBride, seventh rounder who fell in the draft. I mean, there was a joke. I was watching the PFF podcast on like day three and they had the, the users would vote. And I think like, for like multiple picks in a row, uh, it was just pick Dwayne McBride, Dwayne McBride, Dwayne McBride. And it was funny. That was like starting in the fourth round. And then he didn't get drafted until the seventh because he went to UAB and had an injury. He could be really good. He's one of those guys that does everything but run a fast 40. So if you don't have a good 40 time and you went to a small school and now you have a foot injury at the combine, people just let you go. But those are how you find the gems. So he could be really good too. But the real thing is that it's, it's, it comes down to Alexander Madison, and he's the heir apparent. He signed a two-year contract extension, but it wasn't that big of a contract, to be honest. It's kind of it's one of those weird contracts that's kind of a tweener. Like He's paid a little bit more than your average backup, but he's not paid in the ballpark of a lot of starters. So they could be happy with him or they might be using him as a transitional guy. Like you were saying uh, a couple podcasts ago, what, what did you call it? Uh, a bridge running back. Yeah. So possible because I mean, let's talk about Madison. He's, yes. I think he's been pretty good. Not great. Given the chance to run. He's had a lot of very, very nice fantasy games and a couple face plants. I don't know that he's a top five NFL running back or a top 10, but he looks like he's somebody that with a good team around him, you could start and not hate life. Yeah. So I remember when I had him in our keeper league and I, I held on to him and cook got injured for his like two games a year and Madison actively lost me the games I started him in. He was so bad. And I was just like, oh my God, if I just played my normal starters, I would have won those games. I actually think it cost me a playoff that year. I think my team was like seven and seven or something like that. It was it was infuriating when I look back on it. It's funny because I think you had him because you you were handcuffing him with Galvin Cook for a lot for for most of the time. And I think you've had much better experiences than I did. Like he was usually pretty good. Like he might not have been Delvin Cook, but he was good enough with his volume that he was still like a top 12 player when he would start, right? A couple of those games, he was pretty close. And I just remember my experience with him. I think I had him later in his career than you. I wasn't very impressed. He seemed like an okay guy and he to me is another case that I want to, I kind of want to see cook move on just to test the breather theory. How much was Madison's effectiveness when he'd come in for two games a year for cook and people go, Oh, Dalvin cook is out. Let's worry about Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen more than we normally would. We don't have to play it. And I haven't looked into the stats about men in the box. And even if you stack the box, 
that doesn't mean they're playing run. They might just stack the box and bow out or something too. So it's, it's, it's tricky. We'd have to crunch that, but I'd, I'd be curious to see how he holds up for an entire year because it's an interesting case where I think if cook moved on from a fantasy perspective, Madison will go from like a fifth, sixth round pick, which by the way, in underdog drafts, he is literally going back to back with Dalvin Cook right now. I was on the clock doing a draft last night. They were both on the board and I was like, uh, I'll just take a receiver right now and hopefully someone else make this decision. I can get the remaining guy in my next round, you know, because there's some weird risks to it. But at the same time, they could both be league winners if they split, you know, and Cook goes and takes over Miami or Buffalo and Madison becomes 95% of what Cook usually is. But at the same time, I also think Madison's backups are really good. Now, they don't have a lot of t- draft capital tied in them, so they have to earn their keep. They're not going to get dibs. So Madison will get the first shot at it. But I wouldn't be surprised if by week seven, Chandler or McBride is is forced their way into a 40-30-30 split or one of those guys is getting 60% to uh, 40 or something like that of the carries. I don't know if you have any strong feelings towards Madison, but uh, that was that's kind of my take is I could see that backfield flipping because I, I and it, it's not even a knock on Madison. I just think that they've done a good job drafting uh, good players on the value in the last couple of drafts. And it could that's a reason you can move on for Dalvin Cook and save money. Maybe. I think Madison is better than just a guy, but I also think he's not Dalvin Cook. At least not Dalvin Cook when Dalvin Cook was in his prime. Have we started to see the fall off for Dalvin Cook? Really? I don't know. I mean, he was pretty good last year still, although he was he didn't have the, the volume that he normally does. But I also think the head coach got away from the running game much more readily than the previous regime did. And that makes a big difference. And, and that was why a lot of people were excited for Justin Jefferson. Everyone's like, oh, he's coming from L.A. to turn him into the new Cooper Cup and feature a passing role. Um, but I did see some advanced stats on, I believe it was Pro Football Focus, that well, Cook's last year, he kind of fell off efficiency-wise, but it wasn't a big deal. But when you factor in his age, people worry about it. Um, apparently, Madison, the last couple of years, like two or three years, he's been trending down from an efficiency standpoint because he's quietly not that young. I mean, they signed him to an extension, so he's not even a first contract running back either, which is kind of interesting to think about because you think of Madison as the young guy taking over for Cook when he might only be a year or two younger than him. And he might, you know, be falling off a cliff for all we know, athletically. He might not have had the same starting point. Or the, maybe they just got tape on him now. I mean, he's been in the league. He's been featured enough games now that defensive coordinators might be starting to hone in on him. And is he, and is he improving enough to counter that? Well, now I think about it, I don't really recall – Madison adding a lot in the pass catching where Cook, he he's had some explosive catches and runs in his past. So when he's on the field, teams still have to honor the run more. So maybe they don't do it with Madison. But here's the other thing. Maybe the offensive line's just been not as good the last couple of years, which is something we've ranted about in the past. And that's why the both of their efficiencies would go down because uh, they don't have good offensive line. It's kind of hard to run the ball when Unless you're Barry Sanders when there's three guys at your feet. Oh, my gosh. I know it's not really what we're talking about, but I was 
you know, going through some of the fan forums and came across this Vikings post. Vikings should trade Justin Jefferson while they can. You can't pay him. <laughs> okay, that's just like I'm making up stories to troll, right? Like, like just... Supposedly they got some like unnamed coach that had NFL experience to say so. It might have been Matt Patricia. I don't know. If but well, that okay, well you know, he's a he's a rocket scientist, so if it was him it must be true. Because it's not like the the Titans were able to flip um AJ Brown when he was on the verge of signing a hundred million dollar four year contract extension with the Eagles or anything and still get a first round draft pick for him. Hell, didn't the uh, Ra- Baltimore Ravens got a first round pick for Marquise Brown when he was getting paid? I think Justin Jefferson could get paid and still trade value, you know? Yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know, it just made me laugh. It, it, yeah, the, well, the, the fans are, the fans that you're seeing are so trained, I guess, to just not want to pay anybody. They're like, look at. Look at Kansas City. They don't have a top 10 wide receiver. I'm like, yeah, they also got Travis Kelsey. I was going to say, they do. His name is Travis Kelsey, and he's better than a top 10 receiver because he is 20 times better than the next best tight end as a receiver. Who are you going to get that's better than Justin Jefferson? If you're not going to pay Justin Jefferson, who exactly do you intend to pay? I mean, you could flip him for Bijan like I did in Dynasty. (laughs) I'm not sure that's smart, but... Is this where you're going to offer him for me and keeper? No, <laughs> I could do a, do a live do a live fantasy football trade on our podcast. But, At some point, we will do that. I don't know if that's today. Hey, um, for the rest of our FFL listeners, just remember I am shopping my receivers and most of my running backs and one of my quarterbacks and all this other stuff because you can only keep so many players in our league. And I am complaining about the ultimate first world problem having too many good people to keep. So. You know, feel free to grab one of them. If not, Joe's going to get one of them. Do you want Joe to get them? He's going to, you know, he's just going to dominate the league with them. (laughs) Well, yeah, I didn't mean to to bring up Justin Jefferson because, but yeah, I just had to mention it. We're talking Vikings, you know? Yeah. You know, we can uh, shift focus to another big time wide receiver. And that's DeAndre Hopkins, who is still unsigned to the surprise of some. It, It was... It was probably five, six days ago that I saw a report that, oh, he's going to accept an offer with any team. I'm like, why do you go out of your way to say that unless it wasn't true before? Or but also he wants fighting. three-year $20 million per contract or more than OBJ money. Well, I guess yeah, that's what basically. he wanted. I mean, OBJ wanted that last year. Nobody signed him. So, But, of course, he also couldn't play all last year. But Hopkins was good last year. Yeah, there's really only two places that really only one place that the rumors are actually heating up instead of cooling off. And that's the Cleveland Browns. So you want to talk about the article you sent me this morning? Yeah. Okay. Let's, you know, some big, hot, juicy rumors. DeAndre Hopkins is now being actively recruited by Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns. Before that, though, there was two articles. I think it was two people from uh, either CBS Sportsline or ESPN that said that DeAndre Hopkins would, had no interest in being a Brown, and that wasn't a thing. And that that so this news comes after the Cleveland was essentially ruled out, right? 
this is funny to me because the same thing happened two years ago or a year ago with Deshaun Watson, where it was down to like Atlanta and Carolina and someone else for the Deshaun Watson sweepstake. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, Cleveland came off the top ropes, like a wrestler who we thought was out of the match, the tag team match or something. And just from the darkness, just boom, signed, pulled off the trade and signed Deshaun Watson because they came out after being ruled out, they came in hot and offered the fully guaranteed contract that then, you know, Lamar Jackson spent the last year complaining about getting bigger than. And I think it would be interesting if Cleveland out of nowhere could come out of the darkness after being ruled out of a DeAndre Hopkins spot and be talked back into a reunite, re, being reunite, reunified with uh, Deshaun Watson. And it'd just be kind of interesting to see how for years – I wouldn't exactly call Cleveland a destination city when it came to like NBA and stuff. And to land one of the top quarterbacks in trades, even he, he, I know he disappointed vastly last year, but he was still, there was multiple teams willing to put trade that package and spend that much money on him. Right. And they got him to waive his no trades clause and come there. If they could get Deandre Hopkins, despite his age, he's still a sure thing. First ballot hall of famer. To get those two guys in back-to-back years, even if it doesn't work out, I think that's impressive for the Cleveland Browns organization and the city of Cleveland's fans that they can land big-name guys. Yeah, I mentioned Monty Williams, new head coach of the Detroit Pistons at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same kind of idea. The argument is, hi, want to come to us? Hangs up the phone. Calls again. Hey, do you like money? <laughs> we've got, how about yeah you know what we you know never mind i'm sorry we made a mistake decimal point was in the wrong spot next time we're not gonna let the intern do it come on do our thing but hey i mean if you can people will forget that they might have overpaid for those guys a couple of years from now if watson and hopkins are winning fantasy leagues for people and turns it and Cleveland just go wow cleveland's in the final four this year because of their quarterback play and Miles Garrett and their receiver cores just out of nowhere added, you know, Cedric Wilson in the draft and Elijah Moore to go with uh, Amari Cooper, all these guys for almost nothing. And then they, then you throw in DeAndre Hopkins as the cherry on top. I just think that could be a really fun team, especially with Nick Chubb still on the ground there, you know, and they oh, added yeah. Zendarius Smith for nothing. Like, I, I just got to say, Cleveland's front office has quietly been making a lot of good moves the last few years. And I don't think people have noticed it because uh, Watson was really rusty and didn't play that well last year. And they were, you know, the sub 500 team in a good division. But I, I don't know how it turns out if you want to go by the results based thing. But process wise, they've been getting a lot of good players. And if they could add DeAndre Hopkins, I think that uh, worst case scenario, it looks like it'd at least be a really fun team to play on Madden. <laughs> yeah, uh, there from a the reason we weren't too big on uh, Hop, uh, yeah, Hopkins to the Browns when we were originally doing our where would he land is because we were afraid of significant overlap with Amari Cooper. Yeah, I still think that's true. But if you bring in somebody like that, then you're going to have you somebody's going to have to be the number two receiver. I think with the chemistry that Watson and Hopkins have together that, you know, I mean, it's, it's not the greatest sign for Amari Cooper, but I don't think it's personal either. Well, I'm, I am curious now if this happens, let's, let's run this, let's keep running with this hypothetical. 
Amari Cooper played well in, in with the Raiders and was ceremoniously traded to the Cowboys for a first rounder, where he turbocharged that offense and got them into the playoffs again. And then they, you know, went and drafted CeeDee Lamb. And some something happened behind the scenes in the locker room and they traded him for pennies on the dollar to trim for like a fifth rounder to get rid of him uh, right before that famous Christian Kirk trade went. And they were like, oh, we don't want to pay. He, he's paid too much money. And then before that offseason was over, they had like $25 million in open cap space after trading him away for 15 to save or whatever it was. It was comical when you look back on it, what they how, how stupid it was to give him up. But I don't think they regretted it because I do think there was some locker room issues in the background with Cooper in Dallas and in uh, Vegas or Oakland, wherever they were at the time when he played. And I kind of wonder if you bump him down the pecking order behind DeAndre Hopkins, if that causes some uh, drama in the in the receiver room. And they look like they're gearing up to throw the ball a lot more in Cleveland this year than they have in recent memory. So maybe they'll just sling it enough that both those receivers will be happy. They'll it'll be like James Winston in Tampa where, you know, Godwin and Mike Evans were top three fantasy receivers. Probably not that good, but you know, if you're uh, Hey, could happen. Um, Cleveland is not the first place you think of when you say hitch and go offense, but I'll tell you, they if that's their receiving core, and they've still got tight ends too. Oh, and Joku's still there; he's really good, and I think Harrison Bryant's still there. And there's a third guy who's kind of a he's bounced around the league and he's fine. There's plenty of guys that can make catches five, ten, fifteen yards down the field. I'm still not thrilled with their down the field guys, but I still feel that's the biggest hole. But I mean, come on. Well, if you want a down the field guy, I think Will Fuller's still available. Why not bring back all the Houston Texan offense from 2019? Solid point. Can he, I mean, can he still run in a straight line? I don't know. I haven't seen him play in the NFL in three years. <laughs> bring him in. We can, we can rebuild him. Make him faster. Stronger. Why not? You know, <laughs> hey, if Aaron Rodgers can bring back all of his former receivers from Green Bay from four years ago, why can't uh, Deshaun Watson do the same? <laughs> In all his route, yeah, all his rowdy friends are back on Sunday at one p.m. <laughs> nice. So, uh, moving on to our next bit of news, uh, moving from Ohio, one state over to uh, Indiana, which is interesting because. Uh, there's a in, another gambling investigation this time on the Colts cornerback Isaiah Rogers. So, uh, is the uh, it, did they start in Detroit and they're just working their way through the Midwest on gambling violations now? I don't know. I mean, you get the impression that a bunch of players in the league didn't even realize that it was against the CBA to bet on games. I mean, bet on anything if you were on a team facility. Uh, which I get, but I mean, this might be actually a little bit more to it. I have seen reports that Isaiah uh, on the radio this morning that Isaiah Rogers was at what a small number of those might have been on Colts games. Okay, interesting. Because the first thing I saw per that's allegedly that's okay. allegedly because the first report I saw on um, the Warren Sharp Gambler uh, Twitter sphere was a. Uh, 
basically saying he's set to make 2.7 million this year and he reportedly placed 100 bets most of which were 25 to 50 dollars which is a lot of money to lose that 2.7 million if you get suspended the whole year like a lot of those guys did and then got cut um, for such small bets but remember that also did say most of which and it didn't say what they were on true and remember th- we talked about this uh with the jameson williams thing that was quietly in the background of the contract that any suspension that has anything to do with gambling the player forfeits all guaranteed money remaining on their contract they oh, could for- lose it all Oh, yeah. So I, and th- th- I just reported what he's set to make this year. I don't know how many years are left on Isaiah Rogers' contract, but he could be in line to lose even more than just $2.7 million over this. This is an interesting thing because obviously the big bomb that dropped was with Detroit mostly, and I think some Washington players. But there's been some more alleged gambling fallout. I saw another tweet. I think it was from Schefter, but I, 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 I'm saying allegedly because I, I couldn't refine it. But it said that... Um, Two players have alerted their agents that they now realize they may have broke the gambling on team property rule. And it's basically like an equivalent of calling their lawyer to go, hey, I committed this misdemeanor, but they're going to come down on me like it's a felony. What, what do I do about this? What's the best course forward? And I don't think this is going to be, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think that these guys are competitive. They, you know, I mean, I look back to the Jordan era stuff in the 90s where all the basketball players were betting on everything they possibly could games, you know, random stuff, uh, throwing garbage in a garbage can from 20 feet away. This is Isaiah Rogers' contract year of his rookie deal. He had been making. And this year he was bumped all the way up to 2.7 million and some change, which he might lose if he's suspended for this. And just to put this in perspective for all of us who don't make 2.7 million, he's making not even 1 million the first three years. So this is a huge year for him. This was going to double his previous earnings for the last three years. So that's pretty heartbreaking for him to lose all that because he was betting $25 bets on stuff, you know, but I don't know. It's, and I think that we're only going to find out more of this stuff has happened. Cause remember, obviously the first guy to fall on the sword was Calvin Ridley. Who's now getting re- reinstated with the Jags. And um, I don't know what you take. It does it to me. It just seems like this policy is over the top strict, especially when you look into these infractions of $25, but at the same time, you can't have him betting on his own team's games, if that is true about the Colts game. You can't have him betting on anything NFL, for sure, ever, at any point, because he's got too many connections in the league. Yeah. I get I get where you're coming from, because simp- even if it was just like, okay, you can bet on your own team, it, yeah. let's say for a minute that was the rule, that you could bet on your own team to win. Well, what if you don't? Are you setting the signal that that you're not trying to win? That's a point I never thought about with the Pete Rose thing because that was always his defense was he was betting on his team to win. But how many times did he not bet on his team that they lost? Yeah, was there a correlation? I didn't even think about that. I don't know. I'm making stuff up. I cannot prove anything. That is, I am not saying it happened, but I'm saying it's feasible. 
And if you are the NFL, you want to avoid any slight appearance of impropriety. So you want to take away any situation where it's possible. And I think that's why there's no gambling of any sort with an outside bookie. Believe me, teams still, you know, guys still are in the locker room dropping a thousand dollars on Madden games. But yeah. it's true with the bookies is the key. Well, because here's here's the other thing too is if you want to defend the league for a second, which is a rare position to take. One of the reasons why it's such a big deal is because the NFL is in cahoots with the gambling stuff, right? They're a sponsor now. They make a lot of the money. They, they actually get a cut of the revenue. Well, that cut increases the salary cap. So whether these players are gambling or not, they all got pay raises because gambling money got in, you know, infused in the NFL. Now, sure, the billionaires got more of it because that's the way the cap breaks down. I think it's like roughly 50% to the ownership, 50% to the players. And there's but, way more players. Yeah, so it splits up much bigger, but the players all do get some of that sweet, sweet gambling revenue off the top, which you know you can argue it that way. But also, if it is just 50 to $25 bets, you can look at two ways. One, if you know the rules, which you should when you sign these contracts, that's stupid thing to risk $3 million over because you win those $25, $50 bets, you win $25 to $50, and then you can lose $3 million. What's the, it is the ultimate risk, high risk, low reward situation in Isaiah Rogers' case. So... Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm not an NFL insider, quote unquote. I don't have a Rolodex full of executives and players. I'm a would-be journalist. I'm a podcaster. I just discuss what I see here. I don't know whose job it is to educate the players on the details of what is in their contracts that might get them in trouble, whether that's the teams or the agents or Usually both the agents, let's be honest, but whoever it is, they critically fail. Well, they should all be doing a better job because the teams are the ones losing out too. They might not lose the millions of dollars for the suspension, but they are losing players over this. And uh, like James and Williams and Calvin yeah. Ridley, and now potentially Isaiah Rogers. So, I mean, it's a problem and, it's one of those things that reminds me when they started going right to the pros in the NBA where it was affecting the league because these guys weren't ready. They were sucking up tons of the cap space. The veterans were unhappy. The teams with them on there weren't playing well. Uh, they didn't know how to manage their money. So and, um, NBA teams had to start. I remember the baby bulls had like a program to teach them how to manage their money because they were like 17 year olds getting drafted in the top two and four overall, you know? And becoming millionaires mm -hmm. with no perspective on things, you know, and I think that's part of it. And I think that it's one of those things where it's, it's there's a blame pie and everybody's part of it. You know, the player has responsibility. The agent who helps go through their contract needs to educate them on these clauses. And the teams, when they make these clauses, need to educate them so they don't get suspended. And even the NFL, the NFL is doing the suspending, suspending. But they don't want the bad rep of having a gambling problem. That's why it's such a severe penalty, arguably over the top, because, you know, we've seen these penalties be worse than Ray Rice's original penalty for, you know, what he did. I'm not even going to say it. We all know, um, you know, until the video came out. But that's why it's about a league integrity issue, because this could affect the on-field stuff. And that's why it's such a big deal to the NFL. They don't want to have 
people think we're just pro wrestling. It's an easy, slippery slope argument to make. Mm-hmm. I get it. Look, and to take the other side, I'm not going to, I don't want to sit here and try and power rank offenses. So I get that. I get that. But at the same time, name me a fan base in any of the four professional sports that doesn't have at least a vocal minority who thinks the league is out to get them and everybody's screwing them. Hey, my thing is follow the money. I think that the team, I think the NFL should be checking on the refs harder because when I look at quote rigged games and weird calls, like when people are upset about the Super Bowl when they called that phantom holding, which turned out to be correct when you look at it from the other angle on the Eagles that basically ended the Super Bowl, and people go, Oh, the 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 NFL just wanted the Chiefs to win. I'm like, I think the NFL wants ratings. So a better ending would have been that call didn't happen. The Chiefs kicked the field goal with two minutes left, and now Jalen Hurts has two minutes to answer that. And then you could have a potential game-winning drive by Jalen Hurts, a game-fouling drive, a game-tying drive, and overtime. And I think all those situations the league would have preferred to the Chiefs kicking the field goal after running the clock down, in my opinion. I think that it's more of an issue about when you see all the money goes to Vegas on the Chiefs, it's not the NFL that wants the Chiefs to win. It's the bookies in Vegas. So. We need to watch out for our mafia ties. Hopefully I won't get uh, uh, calls for anybody. You know, it wasn't really me saying this. If uh, anybody has a problem with that, if this is any bit true. Um, let's uh, move on to uh, the, another cult story, shall we? Uh, yes. Before Brian gets whacked, let's talk about Brashad Perriman. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brashad Perriman was signed with the Colts and he is on his what eighth season now, you said? I think so. Yeah. He's 20. And, this is going to be his age. I think this is going to be his age 30 year. He's 29 now. He turns 30 in the first half of September. So this is interesting because he's signed by the Colts, one of our Midwest teams. His da- He played for his dad. He was a Nepo baby. You know, his dad was uh, the great uh, Brett Perriman for the Lions in the 90s. It's interesting because... He's had a weird career where he was injured most of his career in Baltimore. I think, what was he? Did we look into it? Was he a first or a second round pick? Thought he was a low first, but he was one of those guys that had a lot of uh, flash to him, but he could never stay healthy. And then he had that one year where I think it was right before the Bucks signed uh, Tom Brady, where Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 touch yards and 30 touchdowns and 51 turnovers. It was, he was a first rounder. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. And um, at 2015, year, first rounder. Okay. So at the end of this season, um, Godwin and Evans both went down, and Brashad Perriman just went off the leg there during fantasy playoffs. If you were a waiver pickup and you had the balls to start him, like you would have won your leagues because of how well he did. And then he never turned into anything. I think the next year, he came into the offseason to the Lions, who people forgot were challenging for the number one overall pick at the time and firing Matt Patricia, which is a memory that Joe doesn't want to think about right now. And they they signed Brashad Perriman and Tyreek Williams to be their starters. And they draft a little unknown guy named Amon Ross St. Brown, the future sun god. The weird part, I remember the, the Brashad Perriman, he got cut early in the training camp with the uh, Lions and everyone's like, they don't have anybody else because no one knew what Amon Ra was and Tyreek Williams was hurt. And I don't know if he's ever even played again since. And they cut him because he just didn't get along with Macho Man Danny Campbell. 
comes to the Bears, whose receiver core wasn't really any better, and fails to make the roster. And then somehow he re-signs with Tampa as like their eighth receiver, and by the end of the season, he's like their fourth guy. Like it, it was such a weird year. It was I, I don't understand his career, but for some guy who's had very little big moments between who his dad is, where he was drafted, how he flashed in Tampa, and then got washed out of two of the worst receiver cores in the league and then still made it back in the league. He's just a very fascinated person. And I don't know if the Colt, I don't know if the Colts receiver core is that daunting. He could end up, uh, you know, playing some games this year, making some big plays downfield. I don't know if he's still got the deep speed. If he does, the Colts could use him. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just another guy to run wind sprints and keep uh, everybody open underneath. Mm-hmm. Good chance he'll be out of the league by uh, training camp too. That's true. He could also just be a camp body. Yep. So it'll be but interesting. But I think it's time we get into our new segment, and we call it "What If." And with this segment, we're not we're not going to do it every week, but every so often, we'll do a little bit of research and look at. One key event in the history of a Midwest team and ask what would happen if it went differently. This time we're going to make the debut of the what if segment here on the Midwest football podcast with what if the double doink went through for the Chicago Bears. (sighs) Just just thinking about that what if just makes me excited until I have to face reality again, because that was a crazy year. So first of all, the Bears were a top three seed of the NFC that year, along with the the Saints and the Rams. For our viewers, we're setting the Wayback Machine to 2018, the 2018 NFL playoffs. This was Mitchell Trubisky's breakout year, Matt Nagy's first year. And I remember being excited because during our, our our fantasy football draft, I drafted the Bears in like the 15th round and we drafted it before the Khalil Mack trade. And I made a joke saying, this will be the pick of the draft when the Bears trade for Khalil Mack. And then they actually did it. And it turned out to be not very far off because the Bears defense was really good that year. And to the point where the double doinker game was like a 16 to 15 game. The Eagles were the reigning Super Bowl champs. You know, the Bears uh, offense didn't play that well. But Trubisky, people forget this because he's Mitchell Trubisky. He actually led the Bears on a game-winning field goal drive that arguably they could have gotten even closer. But, you know, the coaches always get conservative and they try to set up that 50-yard field goal or whatever. And I actually thought that ball went through twice. And this is an embarrassing moment for me. So... I'm going to tell you a little bit of story about how, you know, it's like 9-11. Where, where was I when the double doink happened? I was at a bachelor party in Bozeman, Montana, but we were skiing. Oh, okay, of course you were. Yeah. I'm not even going to ask at this point. <laughs> so two days we were skiing. The middle day in between, we were snowmobiling, and, and we were across the border in Wyoming. So I don't even know where we were. I couldn't tell you which state of the map we were on. All I know is the only place around that had a football game on was some weird local dive bar with nobody in it except for like two Wyomings, you know? So everybody's out snowmobiling. I cut the snowmobiling short because I got to watch the Bears-Eagles uh, game. I get in there, I'm watching, I'm like, oh my God, Trubisky might, 
this might be the moment, you know, that a Bears quarterback has something. One of the guys on the thing on the bachelor party was an Eagles fan. I thought the kick went through. So I started running around the bar like an idiot with two random locals and like five of my buddies on the bachelor party just going, yeah, we did it. We beat the Eagles. We're going to go play the Rams and we just stomped them a couple weeks ago. Let's go. We're going to make it to the NFC title game. And who knows, maybe we could make it to the Super Bowl. And as I'm doing this, Mike, the Eagles fan, doesn't even talk trash. He just sees how happy I am. He looks at the other guys because he's realized that it was a miss. And he felt so bad for me. This is an Eagles fan known for talking trash. He just ran into the bathroom and was like, try not to laugh in my face. Like, that's how embarrassing that moment was. Let's pretend for a moment that that happy me for that one moment before I realized the ball not only didn't go through, but it, it was like out of the end zone into the field, right? This has a lot of effects on it because what the legacy of Mitchell Trubisky, Matt Nagy, even Jared Goff and the Rams, and it goes all the way to the current Lions, in my opinion, the, of the effects that it has on it. So low-hanging fruit is Trubisky was never the same. I mean, you know, he had that game-winning drive, but he didn't make it. Like, And Peyton Manning had a similar situation early in his career, but he had the stones to go up on the uh, podium and rant about the liquored-up kicker uh, blowing a whole seasons of hard work. Uh, I think that was Vanderjack who was ripping. Trubisky wasn't wired like Peyton Manning. I'll just leave it at that way. I think it, it affected him worse. Matt Nagy, um, what was the story you told me about the next offseason? So the next offseason... Matt Nagy brings in, I swear, six or seven different kickers. I think it was at least seven, to be honest. Yeah, and on like the the very first practice of training camp, he lines up all seven of them with the entire rest of the team surrounding them, and basically says, "Make a field goal from the exact spot that the double doinker was kicked from." Like, can you imagine? Like, all in a row. Seven kickers. Boom. Next one. Boom. Next one. Boom. And I remember when that happened, thinking, we're wasting a lot of resources on kickers when we should be trying to build the rest of the roster, even in the moment. I don't think Nagy was ever really the same as a coach. I don't think Trubisky was. And I think they dwelled on it. So I know we remember him them two years later when they kind of fully flamed out and fell apart. But I'm just kind of curious how different they would have been. So let's trace through. Let's trace this forward. Let's pretend the Bears won that game. They play the Rams. They win that game again, right? Now they're playing. It's not entirely, you know, a shoe in. This is the more fun scenario. So I'm going to walk this through, right? Let's say I'll I'll give you that one. The Saints at that time were snake bitten. They kept losing. They lost to the Rams in in, in the in the overtime. They one of those games they were screwed over by the refs. And maybe that happens to them again. And the Bears are in the Super Bowl. Well, that was the game that they were screwed over yeah. by okay. the refs. So, yeah. Actually, I wanted to talk about that. Okay. So well, talk about that more. Yeah. The 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 conference semis as a result of the double doink. It would have been Chicago at L.A. Rams, Dallas at New Orleans. Instead, it was Philly at New Orleans, where they got basically smoked, mm-hmm. and Dallas at the Rams, where they got basically smoked because Cowboys get a Cowboy. Now, you look at first the Chicago-LA Rams game, 
which Chicago did win in the regular season. Thank like you to six. Yeah, like the defense just four golf picks, fifteen to nine. I wrote it down on Sunday on. night on Sunday night football week fourteen at Chicago. Basically, yeah, I, the only significant change for the Bears would have been Bryce uh, Colburn broke his foot. Okay. Yeah. The the Bears, led by Khalil Mack, absolutely terrorized Jared Goff. And that's why I was just frothing at that rematch to get, play it again. Because it was, I think it was also one of those games where watching it, I don't even think it was as close as the final score. That gave me hope that the Bears could uh, make it. So let's say the Things go the right way. The Bears make it to the Super Bowl. And it's interesting to me because. Well, hold on. Before you get to the Super Bowl, one of the things that was so remarkable about that postseason was that was the Rams Saints game at the Superdome Mm -hmm. in the uh, NFC title game was the game that had the horribly missed pass interference game where the where the. Rams defensive back committed a five-year felony on the Saints receiver and it wasn't called like he ran him through a two or three yards off the play and no call yep so then that doesn't happen and what does that do with the New Orleans fan base like if they make it to the Super Bowl and win it oh not just that but that specific play led to the NFL expanding replay tremendously well there okay so there you go so that's that's another effect is maybe not for another couple of years do we get a replay expanded or at all um also just when you're talking about that like let's say it's the Bears playing the Saints and the Bears don't do nearly as well and now you got a Drew Brees playing the Saints, uh, the Patriots. I think Drew Brees wins that game because um, that was like a thirteen to three Super Bowl. I think the Patriots kicked a late field goal, but it's because kind of a ten to three game. I think Drew Brees would have won that game. I, he was veteran enough to move the ball. But the big lasting effect is Jared Goff was exposed by Belichick. So if the Rams don't make it to that Super Bowl, and let's say the Bears do instead. Then it's Trubisky getting depants in front of the whole nation by Belichick. And if he could depants golf that way, he could have done that to, to Trubisky. So even as a Bears fan, I don't think we win that Super Bowl. And in fact, it might have had the same horrible negative you know, uh, effect on Nagy and Trubisky as the double doink did, to be honest. You think about it. But the golf Rams thing was weird because I think the, the Rams extended golf after that Super Bowl loss, didn't they? Just as like, a, hey, you got us there. That is correct. But there's, you know, McVeigh has a track record of the front office extending a guy and McVeigh blaming him for it. Like, well, either way, coming off of that run to make it to the Super Bowl, I think people were pumped because that. At the time they extended golf in that offseason, that was a one-off game. But what ended up happening was that became the template for how every defense played Jared Goff the rest of the season. And McVeigh just goes, I need a guy who can get the ball downfield. I don't want to do deal with this bum anymore. You know, and I thought that was interesting because if they don't make the Super Bowl, golf isn't getting exposed by Belichick. He's getting that extension. And does he stay in L.A. for another couple more years before he kind of becomes the Jared Goff we know he is today? Which leads me to the next thing. Because McVeigh was so upset with Jared Goff, he orchestrated the trade with the Lions to make the Lions who we are today. 
four five years later. And that's true. That was because he was, you know, he the Lions got two first round picks. They got one first round pick for Matthew Stafford. They got a second first round pick for Jared Goff's contract. Yeah, we'll take him off your hands, but it's going to cost you. We'll take that contract. Because of that, the Lions have a lot of extra draft capital, and they have a team that's about to make a leap. Is what for all what we think? You know, they were nine wins last year, nine and eight, and uh, they're trending upwards. They're a good young team, and they but they'll go as far as the arm of Jared Goff can take them. So, can he recover from that uh, Super Bowl from four or five years ago? You know, or just the hands of Amon Ra? That's true too. But like, if let's say Goff doesn't play. And he has a much better season, and the and the Rams just stick with him. Oh, oh, the other ramification: Stafford doesn't win the Super Bowl likely because he won it with the Rams, and I don't know if he would have won it with the Matt Patricia led Lions. Uh, he he might have been looked up as a washed up quarterback, and now they're talking Hall of Fame because he won one. Yeah, I I I've always been a big Stafford guy. But uh, especially after Calvin Johnson and he took the next step in his development without that. I turned the corner on him, too. I always liked him, but I was pretty, you know, it it became harder to doubt him after that point. After that, basically, the only thing you could say about Stafford is what if you won? What if the Lions won with him? And if you look at who was building those teams around him, is that really entirely Stafford's fault? Yeah, until he took that leap forward without Megatron, I thought he was basically Rex Grossman, but with Megatron as a safety blanket. And uh, he proved me wrong because then he developed and was a better all-around player. In fact, he probably was using Megatron as a security blanket, or not security blanket at that time, a crutch. And once he didn't have that, he was forced to spread the ball around, and he was actually a better quarterback than we realized. Yeah, maybe a better quarterback than he realized. Yeah. But let's say they don't get Jared Goff and the and the boatload of picks. Do you think the Lions are in the position they are today to make a leap forward to potentially winning the NFC North and making a playoff run this year? I actually think they have a solid chance to anyway because so much of their player, so many of their big time picks were later round picks and not That's ones wrong. directly tied to what they got from the Rams. One of these times, we're, I'm going to go on the air with the complete breakdown of all of the picks they got from the Rams and what happened with each of those picks because most of them got traded again. It's fascinating. So it's a so that sounds like a good offseason deep dive for a later podcast because I agree you ran through it months and it's very interesting and also it's one of those things where we just as normal casual fans, we being me and you know non Lions fans, just go. Oh, look at all these extra picks they got. And Jared Goff is pretty decent. They won the trade, except what I think, just a teaser, the actual picks they got out of those direct picks were underwhelming. A lot of the guys that they get that are foundational pieces now, the Lions had anyways, like Aiden Hutchinson and Payne Sewell and Amon Ross St. Brown, et cetera. A lot of it will, yeah, a lot will depend on what happens with the draft this year. But at the end of the day, the Rams won a Super Bowl. They yep. won the trade. Yeah, basically, unless the players that the Lions get also allow the Lions to win the Super Bowl, and they, because they at the end of the day, win. that's what it's about. Yep. I don't think I would trade it for anything. The Rams got the Super Bowl and everything. So, um, do you have any last thoughts on what if the double doink went through? I think the bigger ramification for that was 
Chicago feels a lot better for a couple of years, but I think they eventually peter out unless they find a dramatically better quarterback or passing game. I think it would have had a dramatic impact on the Rams. I'm not sure they would have won a Super Bowl. No. I, think, I think it has a significant impact on the Lions because they wouldn't have had the ammo mm-hmm. to add the players that they did in the sort of fearless manner in which they did it and were rewarded for it. But I think the biggest thing is, does that horrific pass interference non-call happen in New Orleans that totally affects the way that replay is done to this day? So that's probably the biggest lasting ramification is that replay call but also let's talk legacy what if that doesn't happen and drew Brees is playing in the super bowl and he wins his second that probably elevates him in the pantheon of things winning two super bowls not a lot of quarterbacks have done it and then also we're taking a super bowl away from tom brady he's still the goat at six but it's just one less for mahomes to get i get that um you see i've always absolutely love drew Brees' game same so you only had him for like 15 years in our keeper league (laughs) i know is that all yeah so i didn't need that second title although i sure was rooting for it especially you know knowing that when you're a lions fan you kind of have to have somebody that you root for in the playoffs because it's almost never going to be the lions but uh you know we'll talk more about lions misery you know some future time I've never been the kind of person that really cares what other people think about my opinions. I'm still going to have those opinions. Mm-hmm. And that's so I don't need a second Super Bowl to think of Drew Brees as one of the very best quarterbacks to have ever played. I agree. But, but I can see when help. a lot of people it would it would change other people's opinions, which might Matt help would. him out with various rankings that ultimately don't matter. Um, but just one last thing before we go, I just want to give Drew Brees a little props because you're talking about him reminding me that my first ever football game when I went to the Ohio State University was a loss to Purdue. And I remember thinking, I thought Ohio State was supposed to be good. Weren't they ranked like number two in the country when I went there? Why are they losing to like Purdue? I don't even know what state that's in. No, I'm kidding. I knew what state it was in. It was in Indiana because I went from Chicago. And then I found out later. That's right. We're from the North. We're from the Midwest. We're not from the South where we think Clemson and Auburn are states. Bingo. So yeah, no. Yeah. So half my friends went to Purdue. So I knew from high school. I know I'm very well aware. And then like later it's like, oh, so that first game that we ever lost at Ohio State was to a future Hall of Fame, one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks of all time. That was actually not really that much of an upset. That was actually just me witnessing greatness, but I had no perspective because it was my first ever college football game uh, as a student. So that was kind of fun. Just Drew Brees ruining my first ever college experience. Thanks, Drew Brees. We won the national title a couple years later at Lowe, so it worked out well. If you have any other ideas for how the NFL or these teams or these players' careers might be different, let us know, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. But that's all the time we have for today on the Midwest Football Podcast. For this show, we want to thank our musician on speed dial, Raymond, for our theme, Running Home. It's from his album, Call to Me. Uh, We are very grateful to him. It can be found on all major digital music distributors. Thanks also to Chris Brandley for all of our social media logos. Thank you to all of our listeners, the new ones, the German ones, the American ones, or wherever you listen from. We are so very 
thankful that you have taken the time to make us a part of your busy week. But for now, it's time to take it into the locker room. It's time for the fifth quarter. So until you see us for episode 10, we will see you later. I miss you already.